Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on Broadway and are, well, Broadway's backbone. Welcome to episode 62. My very special guest is Harvey Evans. So I'm sitting here with the legendary Harvey Evans. Thank you so much oh, for doing this. I don't know about legendary, but you're... <laughs> really? You're, my pleasure. Thank you. Oh, well, you gave me a copy of your resume, and I think your resume alone is pretty legendary. I'm going to read it, or I'll read, uh, I'll read highlights, or do you want me to read this whole yeah, thing? Yeah, read highlights. Okay, I'll read highlights. boring. Uh, it's not boring. Your touring credits included Annie Warbucks, Sunset Boulevard, The Scarlet Pimpernel, and Dan Yankees was your very first job. Yeah. And then on Broadway, New Girl in Town, West Side Story, Redhead, Gypsy, Hello Dolly, Anyone Can Whistle, George M, On the Town, The Boyfriend, Follies, Sextet, Barnum, Oh my God. Sunset Boulevard, The Scarlet Pimpernel, and Oklahoma. That's terrific. Now, uh, I did tour with La Gage and Oh, I you think, did? Yeah. Me and Larry Kirk got to play the two guys, and we knew each other from the West Side Story. So that was one of my favorite jobs, actually, because we, our relationship to the stage, and we didn't have to work very hard about our relationship. Well, that's very nice if something comes natural. Yeah, I know. Also, uh, I didn't do On the Town, I did Our Town. Our Town. Oh, yes, of course, which is so wonderful because you also did a play, and not a lot of musical theater actors get to do plays. You're right, and I thought to myself, okay, I've broken through, and we went to California with Our Town, and I thought, I I went to a casting person or an agent or somebody out there, and I said, I'm in Our Town, I would like to be submitted for television and stuff, and they said, well, no, because that's a kid's play. And I said, Our Town? And uh, that, that was what they knew about it. They thought of it as a, as a light children's play. Oh, you know? wow. And it's about death. It, yeah, how, how <laughs> so, they couldn't be more wrong. No, they couldn't be more wrong. So that, I thought what was going to open a lot of doors really didn't. And then also back in New York, they were casting for a revival of The Boyfriend. And the, they knew my work, so they kept calling and saying, would you like to play Bobby in The Boyfriend? And I kept saying, no, I want to act. I, I thought I was broken through yeah. with Our Town. And they kept upping the money as I kept turning it down. And then finally they said, well, you'll be playing opposite Sandy Duncan. Now, any fool does not want to play opposite Sandy Duncan. Absolutely. You're just going to stop the show because it's her. She's <laughs> fantastic. So that was my uh, turning point, And I said, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it because of Sandy. So where are you from and how did you actually get started? I'm from Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. And I don't really know. I know my parents thought I was shy. They told me. And uh, they sent me to dancing school when I was really too young to realize that I was in a dancing school. I just thought it was part of the norm, whatever kid does. And we had a wonderful, wonderful teacher, an old Vervillian, Pep Golden was his name. And uh, he taught us, Kenny Ermston, a lot of Cincinnati people studied from uh, this guy. And he was more about performing than he was about technique. Mm. He would he made us imitate Al Jolson and Eddie Cantor and all those people that he knew oh. of. So as a kid, I approached dancing more or less as acting. And I think that's why when I came to New York, finally, I was able to work for a lot of different choreographers. And actually, Liza Minnelli said it best. She said, after I watch them do the step, then I look at their face and I see what they wanted to bring bring to that step. So I was taught that early on by this wonderful teacher, Pep Golden. And he used to send us out on the weekends to to perform like we'd get $5. And uh, I had a little partner, partner, Patsy Heffern, and her mom and dad, and my mom and dad both loved, they were party people. So every weekend was like a party for me and Patsy because we'd do our show, then we'd go to the chili parlor in Cincinnati like you do, <laughs> and then, then we'd wind up in some saloon somewhere, and I just thought that was normal. I didn't realize that that, that was a special thing and how lucky I was to get that. Were you teased or anything or bullied for being Never. a boy dancer? I, I went to, uh, I guess, a great high school. But if it was, it was I wasn't aware of it. That's great. Uh, but I also I got hung up on Donald O'Connor, and I learned to do a flip off the wall. And so I did a lot of acrobatics in my dancing. So I think somebody was 
say, oh, you big sissy. They'd see me do a back handspring and they'd go, oh, maybe, you know. So that probably helped me from having people talk. Well, that's good. I have a quote of yours that I think is a wonderful quote and it just shows your... Uh... You get <laughs> You're so good, my God. Well, I thank you. It says, I've had my name above the title, and I've had it all the way down low. It doesn't matter to me. It's just wonderful to be part of this community. And I just think that that's a, a great quote to say why you've been in this business for over 50 years, that you definitely love it. I do love it. I do love it. I love the family unit of it. I think that no matter what you're doing, whether it's the lead Zaza in Lacage or you're in the chorus, of a Fosse show, it's how you perform it that counts. It's not whether you're front and center or not. It's how good you are. Oh. And I think that that helped me to work again with a lot of different choreographers. So your first job was Damn Yankees Tour, and you had researched it, and you really wanted to be Meek Wittenberden. And How did you know all this? <laughs> oh God, okay. I also think that Ed Sullivan had a lot to do with people at my age coming to New York, because we saw, I wouldn't have known about opera or, or the New York City Ballet or anything had not I watched Ed Sullivan shows. And every week he'd have a different dance on, dancer or dance on from some musical. So I knew all the musicals and I knew Gwen Verdon and Carol Haney and Fosse before I came to New York. And of course, nobody, she's still my favorite, Gwen. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. That introduced you to Bob Fosse and Bob Fosse was a mentor of yours? He mentored you? That's incredible. Yeah, wow. Well, uh, how'd you. <laughs> I hate to say that because it sounds awfully snotty, but but he did. Yeah. Oh, there was one funny time in in uh, New Orleans town. I guess we all came forward with our hands in the holding our hats and all that, and he went, Harvey, keep your shoulders down, keep your shoulders down, and then that was really the only time I heard him get a little testy with with giving a note or something. Now, ironically, when I watch him and Gwen do that number on some old, old television show, his shoulders aren't down. He's got his, you know, he's holding his hat and his shoulders are high. And I went, okay, Bobby, you know. <laughs> you said once you get in favor of a good choreographer, they like to use you a lot. So you had a good, good run of it with Bob Fosse. And how was that whole experience and working with him with New Girl in Town and also Redhead. And Damn Yankees National. And I also did a television, he did a television show that you, if you're interested in Fosse, anybody, research this. It was a Ford special, I think. And he choreographed a Western ballet starring Tommy Rawl. And nobody knows of it, and it's just wonderful. And he also, we also were, he, he did a clown number, and you can see where he started getting his style of fingers and twists and things like that. Because I, I, know, I knew him as a big choreographer. I mean, big jumps and big leaps and not all this tight little stuff that he became. I knew him, I don't know how to say it, I knew him as a a big choreographer. Right. I mean, the stuff in New Girl in Town. He did an opening number that was just tough and Michael Kiddish. I saw the evolution and how he became sort of obsessed with all those little things. Oh, that's fantastic. And he used to laugh. Sometimes he'd laugh at me. I never knew quite what that meant. And when I worked with Gwen, after Fosse died, and I worked with Gwen, or no, Fosse was still alive, maybe. And I said, Bobby used to laugh at me, and he, she said, it's because you reminded, he saw himself in you, because I had a baby face, and he did too, and he was out there at 15, dancing in strip clubs and all that. So mm. I think I sort of, he recognized his younger self in me. So uh, that's very pretentious, but... but No, it's not uh, at all. Well... And that's what this podcast is for. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at a lot of your credits, you played young for a really long time. Is it because of your baby face? I or? guess, because I was 29 when I did Barnaby in Hello, Dolly. And he's supposed to be 17. Yeah. I guess I had a baby face. I don't know. I, well, that's, I, a, that's a good thing. I read that you weren't allow, allowed to audition for West Side Story because uh, how Prince was one of the producers and he didn't want to let you out of a That's true. Contract. He told, uh, unofficially now I don't remember how we got the news but but we were more or less told don't audition because we're not going to take you out of New Girl in Town to put you in West Side Story. And we had just come into town with New Girl in Town mm. when they started auditioning for West Side. But I saw that run through before they left town and I said to myself, I got to be in this thing here. This this is too good. 
And you were. How did that happen? You went. I just went to Hal and I said, please, the first time there's a replacement, please, can I audition? Please, please. And he said, okay. And I auditioned and got it. And by then, I had already been in New Girl in Town for maybe six months or nine months or something like that. So. Oh, wow. And then that was just being part of something so legendary. But you knew from that run through that it was Oh, of course. Oh, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody did. I mean, it was electrifying. And then you also got to do the film. Yeah. Did a lot of the cast from the Broadway company do the film? I would say half, half of the Jets, maybe. I don't know how they picked. I just felt lucky that I got picked. I know that they they were really looking. They wanted young-looking people. I think they thought Larry, Kurt, and Cheetah were, looked older. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I got to do it. And, and, and I was in Gypsy at the time, and everybody said, oh, Jerry's not going to take you out of Gypsy to let you do the movie, and he did. What is the biggest difference between filming the movie of West Side Story and then doing it on Broadway? Well, uh, we, uh, we all love Broadway because you get to do it all the way through. Yes. I love Broadway, and I love acting because there's no such thing to me as a perfect performance. There's always... I can do this better tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. And then you discover, oh, I can even do it better the next night. And so I was able to do long runs without getting bored because it was always a challenge to me. Whereas the movie, it's all little pieces and uh, you don't get a sense of, of what you're doing. You know, you're at the mercy of the editor and the director and all that. Still, people give wonderful performances in movies and I sometimes don't know how they do it. Well, I find it fascinating that you're able to do long runs and keep it fresh, because I know a lot of people struggle with keeping things fresh, and even after six months, people are bored. Well, I, I have to admit this, though, that younger people now in show business just reflect younger people across the world. They're all uh, out more so for themselves. And Well, I, I said this before, but you have to love show business more than you love yourself to succeed in it. I guess that's what happened to me so you were in Gypsy and uh, you were up for the original Tulsa and you didn't get it but then you got to replace it uh, how did you know this <laughs> this is amazing <laughs> yeah I didn't get it and uh, of course it was a big disappointment but I was in I would well I don't know if I should they were going to replace Paul Wallace and I was doing it was my first time I got to do a part it was a stock version of Babes in Arms oh. that was maybe supposed to come to Broadway and Richard Rogers supervised this whole thing but Leland Hayward who produced Gypsy and Richard Rogers were having a feud or something and so they wouldn't let me out of my contract with Babes in Arms so I had to wait until uh, David Winters left. Then I, he was uh, Tulsa's understudy. I got a lucky break because Paul Wallace was having vocal problems, and they told after I got West Side Story, they told Paul to stay out uh, for maybe three weeks, and I got to play Tulsa for those three weeks before I left to do the movie. So I did get to play it with Merman. Oh wow! Yeah. I mean, you've had some of the best leading ladies with Angela Lansbury and Merman, Cheetah, Carol Channing. So that's been amazing that you've had this career just not only of you getting to perform, but working opposite some of these legends. Well, thank you. I, I just, Anne Margaret just lost her husband yesterday. Mm. And uh, she was one of the sweetest people I've ever, I worked with her on Dames at Sea on TV. And she was one of the sweetest, is one of the sweetest, loveliest people I've ever known. So I always want to make sure people know I've worked with Anne Margaret. Oh, absolutely. I had a friend that did uh, toured with her, and he had says just the loveliest. Oh, good. Lo did he do Whorehouse? Is that what he toured? No, I think he did her act. Oh, okay. Yes, and, and he's just said that she could turn on Sex Kitten at the drop of a Oh, hat. my God, I know. And yet she was very kind of shy about things. Oh, what a, what a gal. I just, uh, I'm so sorry she lost her husband because she was so loyal to him. I mean, he was wheelchair-bound for so mm. many years. I wish you love, Annie. Mm. Annie, Margaret, and Margaret. <laughs> How was it working with Jerome Robbins? Did you have a good relationship with him? Because I hear he can be a bit of a terror. Oh, he's got a terrible reputation. <laughs> first of all, it depends on if you want to goof off, don't work with Jerry because he'll hate you. Or he won't hate you, I'm sorry, but he'll, he'll pick on you and he'll give you problems. But if you want to better yourself, like Cheetah said, he makes you better. I knew that and I worked very hard for him. I didn't get the brunt of any kind of badness. In fact, I don't even remember him giving anybody any kind of trouble. Russ Tamlin wasn't crazy about coming. We had ballet class every morning to warm up. 
sometimes he taught it. And I remember once he pulled me aside and he said, this is why this step is. And it was a simple step, but he explained it so well. And uh, I thought, how lucky am I to be getting this from Jerome Robbins. Yes. Uh, anyhow, Russ didn't really care for coming to ballet class every morning. <laughs> because, because he, mainly because Michael Kidd in Seven Brides really camouflaged the fact that Russ wasn't really a dancer. He was a tumbler. When you see the movie, he seemed to be as good a dancer as Jacques Demboise or, yeah. or Matt Maddox or any of those other people in it. But Michael Kidd did a really good job. So I think Jerry thought that Russ was maybe going to be a little more trained than he was in the dance department. But what a great guy he was. Oh, yes. Oh, man, I love him. So you had a lot of dance training, but you've been also done a lot of great principal singing roles. Did you train in vocally as well, or was that natural? Oh, no, I trained. God, no, no. <laughs> not, not, my, my father was terrific. I mean, my parents could not have been more supportive. But my father always said, I wish you could sing a little better. And so I had this thing in my head that, you know, oh, maybe I can't sing. And uh, so, no, I went to cl- lessons all the time. That's and also, I, ha- I have a very loud voice. I, that's just it. So a lot of people like that on Broadway uh, because I'm from the era where we didn't have mics, you know. We had maybe some shotgun mics on the floor. I think Follies was the first time I ever thought of the mic being down there. But, you know, we, we did it without mics. Gwen and Merman and all those people. That's amazing. I love that. Because you had to project over the orchestra as well? Yeah, yeah. I don't don't know. Everybody did it. It didn't seem to be a problem. Oh, that's fascinating. I love that. We talked about Dave's at Sea, and you also have have some great television and film credits. Some of the highlights of it is The Pajama Game, Girl Most Likely, West Side Story Movie, The Judy Garland Show, Mary Poppins, You Were a Chimney Sweep. Dames at Sea, Applause, and then recently Enchanted. So you've done a lot of, a lot of great musical stuff in, in that realm as well. How was working on the Judy Garland show? I came in as a replacement. It had been going on for maybe three or four months before I came to it. And she was a little hard to deal with. Mm. Uh, I, we didn't have a one-on-one ever because we, we rehearsed the dance numbers in another room and then we you usually didn't see Garland until maybe the day before shooting. So I, I didn't, I picked up on the, on the rest of the people and they were sort of over her at that point. Ironically, I, I don't know why I didn't worship that because we got paid so much overtime because we waited around for her so, mm. so long. I should have appreciated that job more than I did then. I do now. By God, when I look at those tapes, and sometimes she's not good even, but I think it depends <laughs> on how much she drank in between or right before the show. But my God, when she's on, there's nobody, nobody like her. Nobody like her. No. And it was during your, I guess, TV and film career that you changed your name because it wasn't always Harvey Evans. I changed my name because I had this little part in this movie called Experiment in Terror opposite a lady, uh, opposite a young girl named Taffy Paul. I was her boyfriend in the, in the picture, and Blake Edwards directed it. it was, oh, wow. Uh, Glenn Ford and Lee Remick were stars, and it's a really suspenseful little movie. It's good, black and white. But uh, Taffy said one day, I gotta change my name. And I, th- I said, well, maybe I'll do it too. Harvey Honecker, uh, maybe I'll do it. She became Stephanie Powers. Oh. And I became Harvey Evans, so. And the rest is, the rest is history. Well, I don't know about history. <laughs> a lot of people in their career, they have a lot of successes like Gypsy and like West Side Story, but also we have some disappointments and flops. With Anything Can Whistle, you had Angela Lansbury and Stephen Sondheim. I mean, it was destined to be a hit. How did that not work? What happened with that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's always interesting. Like, cause that's... No, uh, the book was very strange. It was a little bit ahead of its time, mm. but then very soon after it closed, it was behind its time. It was right in the middle, like pop art, somebody described it as. And it was before anybody really took on race or the question of who's crazy and who isn't. Oh. Also, it was a little bit mean to the audience. I remember the or the first act closes with 
theater seats were came on stage behind us, and we sat in the theater seats and pretended we were the audience, and we laughed at the audience and pointed. And I think that was just a little too hostile for oh, audiences. Oh, wow. Well, that sounds like it would go over well Oh, today. it was a big de- <laughs> my, my God. No, Tucker Smith and I were best friends, and we both came to New York from California thinking we were going to have a big, long job. I yeah. mean, we had no idea it was going to close. And ironically, we both got the World's Fair right after that, so we got a job. The it World's was, Fair? You performed the World's Fair? I performed in the, in the DuPont Pavilion as a chemical demonstrator. They had a narrator, then they had two demonstrators who would mix the stuff and it would turn red. And I mean, it was all about chemicals. My side of the triangle was the sh- the guy that screws up all the time and I could blush so that's I think that's why I got that job but I would point and it wouldn't work uh, it was a built-in laugh right uh, anyhow we, we Tucker and I had no idea it was going to close nor yeah. did anyone else no not at all and uh, you said personally that you are best known for Follies out of everything you've done. Why do you think people recognize you from Follies? And that's an amazing Oh, because, of, the, because of Follies being so beloved by right. everyone. Not me. I mean, I was just a small part of it. In fact, at the time, it was a little frustrating because we, it was so episodic for the performer that we didn't, you, it's like you don't get your rocks off. You're, you're, mm-hmm. We had a number, but it wasn't I also didn't appreciate that as much as I should have. So you played Young Buddy in the original, but then you've also got to revisit the show and play Buddy. Yeah, yeah. Now, the people, a lot of people say they saw it originally, and we think, other people think, that they made up, they didn't see it originally. Not that many people did. What is it about that show that you think makes it so beloved? I don't know. I think it was spectacular yes. in its day. I look at those pictures now, and the showgirls' costumes were unbelievable. But the book is a—it's a strange book. I think it's—it's it's better for the performer than it is for the audience. Mm. Like to play it, you got to work hard when you go off stage. James Goldman, who wrote that script, cuts everything right off before it happens, and then it happens off stage. And the next time you come on, you have to have ha- had that to happen. And that's that's interesting to act because you've mm. got to go off stage and almost do your scene off stage yeah. and then come on again. And I think that that made the audience a little weary of what's this really about. Mm. It was something now. And, and now because it's so appreciated and so beloved, that's why I said you know that about uh, oh yeah absolutely um, so you were the standby for barnum did you like being the standby because i know you're such a performer how was it to sit in the wings and kind of twiddle your thumbs not fun (laughs) (laughs) mainly because that part was so hard one good thing about it is uh, between 6 30 and 7 all the circus stuff went up and i could come in every night and after jim dale walked the wire then i could walk the wire in fact, Jim and I used to, uh, he was good at it, and I was pretty good at it, too. And Sometimes we'd walk it together. But it was frustrating. Once again, it's such a hard part that vocally, you know, you might not be able to handle it. And there were many times I did, I, I, and I could be home. I didn't have to go into the theater. And this was way before cell phones and everything. I just had to tell them where I was. But many times I would get the call, Jim's losing his voice, you better get down here. And then he would, he'd continue to do the whole show and I'd psych up and then there was boom nothing to do about it except go home you know that was hard and you got to go on though I got to go on maybe nine months into the run in the middle of the first act too oh wow but then I got to do the one of the national companies so that was nice so tell me about walking you had to sing a song and walk on a tightrope Mm -hmm. and it was a real tightrope yeah yeah you can't yes yeah, wow. we, I, he Jim knew already because he did a Disney movie where he walked the, the wire, but I went to the Big Apple Circus School and learned. When I got the job, they had already been in rehearsal a few weeks, so I really had to catch up. And I said to myself, <laughs> I said, I cannot make the wire a problem. I just have mm. to learn it, and I have to love it, and I wound up love it, loving it. I love being on that wire. Oh, that's so. Incredible. It was a, a regular wire. I mean, like uh, uh, this 
Ringling Brothers used. Wow, and was there a net or anything? No, but it was it was only like 10 feet, maybe 12 feet high. So if you did fall, for some reason you're able to rat, grab onto the wire and then swing down to the floor. I don't know why that's possible, but you don't fall and you don't fall over with nothing. To, you fall so you can catch that wire. And, oh, okay. Uh, and Jim used to, if the audience was bad, he used to fall on purpose so they'd perk up and all that. And I remember one night in Denver, Colorado, <laughs> Scotty Hamilton, little Scotty Hamilton, somebody said, which made me angry, but Scott Hamilton was winning all the Olympics skating, and I went out in my Barnum's, and oh my God, it's Scott Hamilton in the first row, you know, and I fell twice off the wire, and you're not supposed to do it a third, third time, you know, I think you skip it and you just go to the other side. I made it the third time, and I didn't plan on that. I think he just made me nervous. Wow, so you get nervous after all this time. Well, he was such a celebrity. Oh, I, yeah. I, I worshipped all those Olympic people. Ty Babylonian, and Randy Gardner, and uh, that era. Mm, yeah. That's interesting to me that you wanted to make the transition. People didn't take you seriously as an actor. Was it because of your musical theater resume? Was it because of... Oh, I think dancers, male dancers have a problem. They, they, they're they not the ones that people seek after, you know. They'll say, well, you're a dancer. What are you, you can't act. All right. Nobody <laughs> said that to my face except this one guy in California when he said, well, that's a kiddies play. Yeah. I wanted to kill him. <laughs> oh, no, and I know a lot of people say dancers, they can't sing, they can't do that, so we grow up with oh, this Oh, nowadays, I mean, I don't want to say who's better, but our generation was different than the kids, not kids, but the people now in the, in the ensembles are so talented. Oh, I so mean, talented. My God, they can do anything. I'm not sure they have the heart that we did. I started to say earlier, younger people are more, they want to buy their apartment building and they want to go in pilot season in California. And we just wanted to be in a Broadway show mm -hmm. and we would stay forever if we if we wanted to. Yeah. Um, it's a different way of thinking. It definitely is. But the world is more killer now. I mean, everything's yep. so much harder. Oh. And when I, when I auditioned, there wasn't thousands of people. There might have been maybe a hundred or two hundred, but it, it wasn't like it is now. I didn't. I never had to take a number and wait and all that stuff <laughs> oh. like you, you do now. Oh yeah, it's crazy now. Even if you have an appointment, sometimes your agent can't even get you an appointment. They're like, it's their book. Go to an EPA, whatever. Now you can do online signups. They fill up within minutes. It's crazy. Oh, that's scary. See? Yeah, but <laughs> it's, 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 and that's that's the men auditions. I can't imagine the women auditions. It's probably twice as much. Well, it was easier. I was so lucky because I hit. I came to New York right at the end of the golden era, so I got to really experience. I mean, doing West Side, I thought, we all thought, well, this is a nice show, but the next one will be just as nice. And mm. it was, it was Gypsy, but, but <laughs> nowadays, you know, people stay in shows forever, and I'm not sure the quality of a show is as good as it used to be. Yeah, I agree, but there's a lot of money thrown up on it, but that doesn't... I know, yeah. ...make it quality. Money's a problem, too. Yeah. You have 7,000 producers, and they all get to go up on the stage with the Tonys, it's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> there's one thing I talked to Cheetah about was the fact of when you have one director and choreographer like a Jerome Robbins or a Bob Fosse, it makes the rehearsal process and the vision much clearer as opposed to when you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Have you found having a single director and choreographer being more beneficial? Yes, I think so. Because right away you, you get, I mean, some people get a job where they don't even know what the book is like. You know, they rehearse their dance numbers in another room mm -hmm. and they take them. I mean, we were there with Jerry and Bob right from the start. Yeah, that's how it should be. That, I love that. Well, so a, a lot of times on uh, Redhead and maybe even New Girl in Town, Fosse and Gwen would stay up all night and work on stuff. And then we'd come in the next day and they'd show it to us and we'd all go, oh, that's fantastic. Oh, wow. One of my favorite credits that you have is George M. I love that show. A lot, not a lot of people do. It's not done. Um, it's a show I've done several times. I mean, how is that like experience? The music is just great. I didn't have a good time. Oh. I had come right off of Barnaby in Hello Dolly. I have my own opinion about that, about the new revival. Oh. But I won't, I won't go into it. We won't go into that, but we will go into your experience. Okay, so I, I, I got George M. right after doing Barnaby, and we were told, don't worry about a script, 
because it's going to be like a review, and you'll do you'll do a funny waiter, and then you'll do this, and then you'll do Sam Harris, which I was hired for. But in the first act, you'll do all this wonderful comic stuff and all that. That didn't happen. We no. were back in the chorus. Yeah. And we worked on popularity for maybe two weeks straight. And so I was frustrated. I thought, well, this is not a career move for me. And a whole lot of other people were the same way. J.D. Sell and people were right on the verge of becoming a little bigger. And then we all got in George M and we were sort of thrown back in the chorus. So I didn't like doing the show all that much. It was a hard show to do, I think. You work hard, don't you? And yes. In that, I remembered, I stayed a year, I had to stay a year, I think. And I didn't especially care for what I was given to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, Even Sam Harris doesn't too much, even that role itself is a... No, he doesn't. Uh, and the number was... Ugh, yeah, All Our nothing. Friends yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it was a stupid number. And Joe did it in an, an afternoon, and I thought, oh, and he waited till the very last minute. It was the last thing done, I think. And I sort of felt like, well, I got screwed here. Yeah. Um, but then I got Our Town, so... Oh. There we go. Yeah. So, Hello Dolly, you got to do it with several different Dollies and playing Barnaby, which is a great role. How was that whole experience? And you toured first? Toured first with Channing, and then she left in Chicago, and Eve Arden came in. Oh, really? Uh, So I got to do it with Eve Arden, and then I left, and I went and did Debbie Reynolds' act for a long time. Then I came back to New York, and the Barnaby was leaving, so... I got to play Barnaby with Betty Grable here in New York. And B.B. Osterwald, the last, we were sort of kicked out by the black company, Pearl Bailey was coming in. But we extended for one week, I think, and Betty Grable did not know she was, she had throat cancer at that time. And she didn't want to do the last week, so I also got to do it with B.B. Osterwald, who was one of the loves of my life, too. She was just... She stood by for Carol for everything. Oh, wow. How long did you tour? Did you like touring life? Because then you toured later in your career and early in your career. I didn't mind touring, and, and uh, if it was a part, yep. you know, good. It was hard to tour with Barnum because it was such a hard show to do. Yeah. And fortunately, we didn't have half a week or anything like that. You mentioned with uh, also George Evans, something I struggle with, a lot of other people struggle with too, is the moment that you're like, I'm trying to break out of the chorus and do more roles, but then you also want employment, so you go back in the chorus, and then being taken seriously, but then also being considered a male dancer. How have you navigated that throughout your whole career? I don't know that I have navigated it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I sort of think I had a an angel on my shoulder a lot of the times because some of the shows I wanted and I went after like Westside but a lot of them came to me. I was lucky that way. I certainly would go through the depression of when you don't work and you're worried about money. In fact now that I'm the age I am and I sort of wished I wouldn't have worried so much about finances because something always did come through. Maybe it was the last minute but something did come through. Yeah, I love that. I actually have a quote that you wrote about an angel. It says, uh, when I look back, I think that I've had some kind of angel on my shoulder leading me towards the best shows on Broadway's golden years. I didn't pick or choose them. They just came around my way. Oh, God, I've repeated. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful quote. I love that. No, that's okay that you repeated it. Well, like pretty- something like Follies. I had worked for Hal Prince. I got a call and I said, you'll have to audition, but you know, you'll probably get it. Yeah. So I did. But I think stuff is, has come your way that's even not in the golden era, especially with recent stuff that you did the, the Sunset Tour. I guess that's not that recent. Scarlet Pimpernel Tour. The Oklahoma revival you did, and you said you played Pa Carnes, but then you earlier in your career you played Will Parker. So is it you, you like getting to revisit shows? Those kind of shows, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Follies. You, oh, from yes. From buddy, young buddy to buddy. Sure. And then you got to work with uh, new choreographers like Susan Stroman, who at the time, they're legendary, but you know, you get to, to see a whole new generation. Yes, yes. I'm lucky about that, too, Yeah, I think. I did something a little bit for Josh Rhodes, and Andy Blankenbuehler is just so terrific, I think. And oh, I agree. And Graziella Danielle was in Follies. She was in the Ensemble of Follies. Well, I wouldn't even say the ensemble because she and my, Michael Masita were the young Vincent and Vanessa, and that, that ah. they were pretty featured. It's amazing the people that you never know who's gonna you're gonna get to work with again and in what capacity. You're right. I know. 
And some people, Sue Mangers, that, that agent of Barbara Streisand, oh, yes. the legend, she told me to quit show business once. She said, your personality is not right for show business. You shouldn't be in it. Uh, <laughs> and what did she think? Because you're so nice? I don't know. What happened was I was with William Morris, and she was too at the time. One of the guys called me and said, we're driving down to Philly to see this little girl, Patty Duke, in uh, The Miracle Worker. You want to come along? And I said, of course I do. So Sue Mengers was in the car, and on the way back she said, I don't, I don't think you're cut out for, for, I don't quite know what her, what she meant. but that's, that's always weird when people feel like they can just tell you, you're never going to succeed. And I, Well, she, it wasn't bitchy. It was just hmm. sort of matter of fact. The first time I went to William Morris, to, they wanted to just talk to me about signing. Sue Mangers was having a fight with Phyllis somebody, one of the female agents, and I have never heard such dirty language in my life. I mean, sailor talk. I mean, they were just screaming wow. at each other with every curse word you've ever heard before. And so I know Sue Mangers had that in her. Yeah. Have you had a lot of naysayers in your career and that you've had to, like, shut those voices out and keep on your path? Not not so much. I don't read music and I had a conductor once that was for the Cleveland Opera, it was Kiss Me Kate, who just gave me the worst time ever because I couldn't read music. And I, don't, I didn't know that opera companies, you learn the part before you start. I just oh. figure, well, I'm gonna, we're going to rehearse three weeks, I'll learn it as, yeah. as like a regular Broadway show. Well, no, they all knew their parts, and you know, and I. So I got off the plane and went right to the Zitz probe, and he said, "No, let's do this." And I said, "Well, uh, I I can't read music, and I don't really know what the harmony is." He said, "Well, what do you want me to do about it?" I said, "Well, can you play it for me?" He didn't think I was. <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, me and Maris, the girl I played opposite, I think we we were up for some award in. Cleveland, and I think we got it. I'm not sure, but uh, so I got my revenge back. Yes, absolutely. So we talked on the phone a bit about arthritis and injuries. Have you had a lot of injuries your whole career being a dancer? Well, I got my nose broken in West Side Story in the Rumble. The guy that was playing Chino somehow hit me and broke my nose. And I finished the show, but I went to the, the doctor right away, and well, he was fiddling around with my nose and he was making it click and he said by the way you, while you're here you want a nose job and I thought no I like I don't do all that stuff I don't want a nose job but I don't think he would have done it there but he would have right. set me up for it but uh, oh yes and I hurt my my I was on crutches and out of out of follies for a while because on the TV version of Dames at Sea I did a jump down from the ship to the cement floor, which was television studios, they didn't have wooden floors then. And dancers had no contract that said, we can't dance on that. Oh. And so I did something to my knee and I was on crutches for a while. So wow. I've had my share. Yeah, you know? I know, because it's, it's hard. I know I'm, I'm dealing with the back thing and then once the oh, back yeah. thing goes, oh, it's actually a little bit better. I actually had to get a cortisone injection. That's terrific because I, I couldn't sleep last night from the pain of this hip. No, I don't. This is boring. <laughs> no, it's not boring at all. This is real life. Uh, one like a topic that I, I talk about with a lot of performers who who lived past the '80s. That uh, during the '80s in Broadway, people were dying right and left. Going to the theater and working together as a community is what got people through that dark time. Did it affect you? And I mean, was that during? Cause that was the Lacage. Were you on tour or? I don't remember, but I was so affected by it. Yeah, I lost most of my friends. Yeah. And at first, when it first started happening, I had a hard time even seeing people in the hospital. I just couldn't believe it. It was just such a terrible thing that was happening. And then I got over that and tried to be as supportive as I could, feeling very lucky that I was one of the few that was spared all that because I sort of watched Larry Kurt pass away and that was a killer mm -hmm. and that's why I'll do anything for Broadway Cares or whatever in fact I have to call about something after we finish with this but I think it's such a wonderful organization and I know it kept Larry alive longer than he would have so yeah my my heart's with Broadway Cares Equity oh, it's, it's a great it's a great also organization. not that we weren't a community before that but it really pulled show business together and when you do those 
shows. I'm sure you've done them. Oh all. yeah, they're so it's fun. so much fun. Yes. and you're with your your peers and your people that you love, and it's a treat. It's yep. just a treat. Well, you also feel like I think when we watch anything on television, and you're always like, "How do I make a difference? How do I get involved?" Doing those type of benefits or collecting at the end of the shows, you, it gives you a sense of like, "I'm contributing." Yes, exactly. Because we want to contribute. Yeah. Yeah, you do. During uh, Sunset Boulevard, the company was so overqualified. I mean, Trevor Nunn was lucky because Richie Hebert had done Joe Verin. I mean, they, he had done... Like, everybody was on the verge of a star, practically. So the dressing room crackled with excitement mm. all the time because we were all people that were sort of frustrated because you didn't get to do much in Sunset Boulevard. Also, I have to say that this is different from when I started because personality meant a lot in the 50s and 60s. And that's what made stars, Gwen and people like that. Mm -hmm. That's sort of lost on Broadway to me now, the personality of people. And uh, because I'm a Tony nominator, I get to see everything. I just feel sometimes that the ensemble has to work so hard to make things work. And uh, maybe the choreographer said, get out and sell it as best you can. You know, sell it, oversell it. And I sometimes don't like that. Jerry Robbins was the opposite. He would say, underplay it. Fosse never said push or never said do that. So I feel like, I lost my point though. What were we? What were, what was the question now? You were talking about Sunset Boulevard and the the, the just be oh we we perfect. would uh, when it was time for our skits to settle on our skits, we would have screaming arguments in the dressing room. <laughs> I mean, no, we can't do that, and no, I don't care who wrote a song, and no, and then you know, and ultimately, Glenn probably said what she what she wanted, and we wound up that first year we did a skit about who's killing the Norma Desmonds and you know you're supposed to it's supposed to be three minutes I mean I think we took up 12 or 13 <laughs> minutes because we all played a different person did you ever you were too young to but I I got to be Ann Miller so oh you did yeah and Bob Mackey donated all his all the costumes oh, wow yeah that's amazing it was that was amazing yeah I think it is really interesting especially I think the very first, one of the very first things you said is that you come from your dancing and your singing from a point of view as an actor. And I think a lot of people, even in the ensemble of their career, don't realize they can make choices. They're just thinking about kicking their head. So I mean, Yes, I agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And they can kick their head. Oh, they definitely can. Uh -huh. But I think it's, it's uh, when, you, when you see an ensemble that it's varied and interesting, it's more fun to perform as well. Yeah, it is. Because you've got two things do you have to work on, you know, yeah. your steps and then whatever you want to portray. Different times, yeah. you know. Yeah, so of, like, of, your, of your career, if there, have there been moments that have just stuck out in your mind that you will always cherish as being one of the biggest highlights? Well, certainly uh, doing Lacage with Larry Kurt mm. was one of the reasons I, I knew he was sick. So it was a, a valuable time that I got to spend with him on the road with Lacoste. Mm. I don't know. I guess Barnum, the only job I really, really didn't care for was George M. Wow. Uh, think back, yeah. That's what I, I love, and that's why I was so excited and grateful, is that you you love this business. You love the art of theater, the ins and outs of it, everything about it. And I mean, and you're still doing it. Uh, you were just at a gypsy robe ceremony. You're now you're Tony voter. So you, you keep very involved. Did you ever get to a point where you were jaded? about this industry? Because it doesn't seem like you did. I don't think I did. I, That's I don't wonderful. want to sound like, oh my God, you know, preachy or something. But no, I think I, I pretty much always loved it. And fortunately, I never had to take another job. But there were times that were scary when you worry about money. But then you get to go to the World's Fair. <laughs> <laughs> did you was... have a lot of weird, uh, weird jobs like that throughout? Or were you very fortunate? No, I've had some weird jobs. You know, but some wonderful ones. Like I, I got to do a Milliken show. I don't, you know? think, I don't think I know what that is. Oh, Milliken breakfast shows. Oh my God, it was the best industrial you could possibly get. We did morning shows, and we did uh, maybe a week and a half or two weeks of morning shows. And it was at Waldorf Astoria, and the, it it's a Milliken 
was or is a fabrics company. So it was all about clothes. They used maybe 20 girls from Broadway. Anyhow, if you were a Millican person, they would pick you, they would take you after rehearsal to your theater if you were in a show. They would limousine you there. And they had food constantly. And we got, the men got a thousand dollar bonus at the end of the job, plus all we could take our clothes that we wore. Nice. Oh, Millican. Yeah, Michael Bennett did a lot of them. Alan Johnson did some. Peter Gennaro did some. And they used Broadway people. They used Alexis Smith and Ann Miller and all those kind of people and Lou Jacoby and it was a book show but it was it was campy and fun and with big numbers. Yeah, the Milligan show, if you ask an old timer they'll go, oh. oh, the best job in the world. Oh, I love this. Yeah, they treated you so well. Oh. Mr. Kingsley, yeah. Well this is And I did it for Michael. That was one of the best. Oh, for Michael Bennett. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. So that's you've worked with the best of the best. Obviously, besides, I mean, you must have been talented. Do you have a secret of why so many people like working with you? You must have a great worth ethic as well. And I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm very lucky. Gower, I worked for a couple times, and he gave me a part in a movie, The Bank Shot. And it all started because I left the road company of Damn Yankees at 18 out in California to dance at a nightclub called the Moulin Rouge, which was on Sunset Boulevard. It later became where they did a lot of television stuff. It was a big deal, the Moulin Rouge, but I left to to do that job. And then Gower Champion had seen us do Damn Damn Yankees. And uh, I used to sort of have a competition with my good friend Tucker, not to outsell each other, but to try and do the best job we could and Gower saw it on a good night for me and uh, <laughs> so he was auditioning people for a movie called The Girl Most Likely so I wrote him a letter and I said I, I met you briefly backstage and could I audition for you and he said yes come on in and I had a little private audition and got to dance in this movie called The Girl Most Likely it was my first one it was thrilling it's a good number it's a, a number called Balboa and we dance in the water it was a big enormous set that looked like the ocean with you know the water and and he did this number all around the water and we wound up splashing in the water and dancing in the water and uh, if you ever get a chance rent the girl most likely I will I definitely will I like the fact that you have like some chutzpah I mean you wrote Gower a letter you told Hal you I know I don't know where that came from honest to god I I don't know all the chutzpah I I did I had a I was pretty ballsy. But when it's West Side Story and you want it so badly, you got to be ballsy. I mean, you know. Makes sense. Wait, so when did you move to New York City? How old were you? 17. 17 years old. And you had come on the summers? How did you... (laughs) He's freaking me out. (laughs) He probably knows more than I want him to. (laughs) No, my mom and dad were very smart. Two years before, well, I was a sophomore, I guess, or a junior, they came to New York with me for three weeks, and we I studied from tap from Ernest Carlos, wonderful black tap teacher that's no longer here. But So I, I knew New York a little, and then the next year, they let me come for two or three weeks by myself, and then they joined me. So when I graduated, I knew New York already. Mm. And this guy, Kenny Ermston, that I mentioned before, a dancer from Cincinnati who also studied from Pep Golden. He had done, by that time, five shows already, and he was in Silk Stockings. He sort of took me around, and, and I would go out and drink at 17, you know, acting big shot. But I hung out with the Silk Stockings people, and he told me what auditions to go to and all that. So I had somebody mm. to, to sort of watch out for me. Nice. What was it like the, the night your parents saw you make your Broadway debut. Were they just so proud? They were proud, but they're they're like the Midwestern people. It's like, you're really good, but don't think you're better than anybody else. So that puts you in a strange category. Am I good or what? What are you telling me? Uh, And my mother would, would say, if she saw a show and she met the cast, oh, wasn't your son wonderful? Yes, but everybody was wonderful. Everybody was wonderful. I never could read them. It's pretty impressive, though, uh, Midwestern parents to supporting I know. their young I have no the... idea why they sent me to dancing school. No idea. Yeah. Wait, I'll be right back. I, I have a picture of me, me and my partner here. Oh, Patsy. my God. 
This is unbelievable. You can't see it over there. <laughs> oh, it's adorable. How old were you? I have no idea. And look at those tap shoes. I know. <laughs> and you give that's like full performance in a character, and you're like six, seven years I old. I guess, yeah. This is great. Thank you so much. This has been a brilliant, brilliant interview. I'm like, Are you kidding? Really? I'm, I'm, yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> I usually end a podcast with a song that you can pick any song out of your life. That song that right now may be a song that resonates with where you are today. And I know that's springing something on you. Or it could be... You, you know, mean you want me to sing No, it? no, no, no. Oh, thank God. Oh. No, no, I'll play it. I'll play it at the end of it. So like as the, like as the credits roll is kind of how I do it. Now I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Think, I'm think, thinking. think. I'll edit. Uh, favorite, favorite song. Yeah, I know. The first time I ever got to sing on Broadway, I understudied a guy named Eddie Phillips in New Girl in Town, and he had a number called The Sunshine Girl. It was done in a saloon. He gave her kisses and promised the moon. The Sunshine Girl has raindrops in her eyes. It's fun. So if you could find that, that would be. I will definitely find out. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. He gave her kisses and promised the moon, but now he's singing a different tune. He left her waiting alone at the church. He left her waiting alone in the lurch. With all her broken dreams, it's no surprise. The sunshine. Evans calling. I got your message today. Well, I guess I'd be interested. I, I feel like over the course of years, I've said everything I know. I know, but if you're interested, yeah. I, forgive me for being dumb. I don't know what a pod is. I, I just hit my little computer, which kills me because I hate it. Anyhow, uh, give me a call. I stay up late if, if you want to call tonight even but not uh i'll talk to you when i do and uh thank you for uh for the invite and yeah i guess so um i'll talk to you when i do bye bye